Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Amen. Here we are, week two of the blame game. Last week we began this series realizing that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that blame entered the human race. And blame is the weapon that the enemy uses to divide us. He uses this to conquer us. And we looked at John chapter 9, specifically verse 2, where the disciples of Christ asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind and they wanted to know who was to blame. Let's assign the blame in a a society that that realized or or actually thought that if something was wrong with someone, if they were going through a hard time in their life, it was because of sin in their life. They wanted to assign that blame to someone and Jesus informed them that there was no blame to go around, that this man was blind so that the works of God might be displayed. And I told you last week, church, that when we blame someone else, we give them the power over our lives. Um, And when you do that, you also assign them the power to fix your life. And they can't fix your life. You can blame them all you want to, but they can't fix you. Only God can fix you. So we have to learn to stop blaming others. There's this ongoing joke around the DCC office that Pastor Scott is cursed when it comes to vehicles. Now, he's not even here right now to defend himself. He's teaching over at Discover Destiny, but he'll be here second service, so he'll, he'll hear this, or at least what I want him to hear of this, right? <laughs> but, but there's this ongoing joke that, that Pastor Scott is, is cursed when it comes to vehicles, and I'll give you some examples. When, when Pastor Scott and Nikki first moved to Newberry, when he first became our student ministry pastor, um, his Jeep didn't make the trip with them. It was still in Plant City, and that's because his, his Jeep had, the, the frame was broken on his, on his Jeep. And, and um, he says he bought it this way, but, but I have my doubts, and you'll, you'll figure this out. Then after they moved here, Nikki's car went down. The engine blew on Nikki's car. And uh, so they ended up having to buy her a new car. And then, this is what really did it for me. He, he rode in my Jeep, and my Jeep broke down. Yeah, and, um, and, and then um, he was driving the church bus, and the church bus broke down. And um, the sad part about all of this is that Pastor Scott knows it. He doesn't deny it. He, he will admit, if I ride in your car, chances are your car is going to break down. And so just this week, a few of us jumped into uh, Jennifer Ratter, our children's director. We jumped into her, her, her new truck that she has uh, to go to a meeting. And on the way to the meeting, everything worked fine in the truck. Uh, it, 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 was, it was great. And uh, the backup camera worked, the radio worked, everything. It was a short distance. Um, actually, the meeting was here at the school. And so we just rode from the church offices over to the school parking lot. Everything worked great. When we got back into the truck, um, Pastor Scott and Pastor Andrew were sitting in the back seat of the truck, and um, suddenly Jennifer noticed that the backup camera was not working. And then we noticed the radio would not turn on. Scott jinxed the vehicle. And he knew it. And so as soon as we pulled up at the church offices, Scott quickly jumped out of the truck because he knew he was to blame. And and listen to this. Later that afternoon, Pastor Scott, nowhere to be found, and the truck starts working properly again. (laughs) So you decide. You decide. Here's the moral of the story, okay? Here's here's the lesson, the takeaway for you. Let him walk. (laughs) 
Don't take Pastor Scott anywhere. Let him write that down. Tweet it if you want to, okay? Send it out all over social media. Let the man walk. So I want to explain to you the, the rules of the blame game, okay? Because the rules are really quite simple. Rule number one is this. Find something wrong in your life, anything at all. Whatever it is, find something that is wrong in your life. Rule number two, locate the person that you think is responsible for that wrong in your life. Rule number three, point your finger at that person. It's that simple. Find something wrong in your life, locate the person that you think caused this wrong, and then point your finger at them. The blame game is simple to play, but it is destructive to your personal and your spiritual growth. But what's so interesting about the blame game is that you don't have to have others to play it. It is adaptable. You can play the blame game right by yourself. You don't need anyone else. But when you do, the rules are altered just a little bit to accommodate one person. Rule number one, find something wrong in your life. Anything at all, find something wrong. Rule number two, walk to your bathroom mirror. Rule number three, point at the mirror and assign blame to yourself. That's how you play the blame game by yourself. For many people, it's, it's not that they have a problem blaming others. They don't play that game. Many people, and some of you in this room, you have a problem blaming yourself. And you continue to go through life after a mistake, after something that happened, and you just keep pointing in the mirror, blaming yourself, and, and, and no one can take that blame, no one can take that guilt from you. I want to read from Matthew chapter 26 this morning, and this is not a, a, a passage of scripture that I normally teach from. Um, I, I, from time to time, God reveals something to me in his, in, in his word and in the Bible that I, I feel like I need to dive a little deeper into. And this is one of those passages that sometimes around Easter, we may hear bits and pieces of it, but I want us to take a more in-depth look at this man's life in Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start reading at verse 3. It says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now I want you to go to verse 14, verses 14 and 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now let's go to verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. They came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. This is the betrayal of Judas. One of the twelve disciples handpicked by Jesus to learn about the kingdom of God from the rabbi who claimed to be the son of God. 
Judas was one of the 12 closest friends that Jesus had. You ever been been betrayed by one of your closest friends? This was one of the closest friends that Jesus had. For three years, for over three years, they went everywhere together. Last week, we looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I told you to really focus on on the name of that tree. It's the knowledge of good and evil. The fruit of the tree was not only blame, as we learned last week, but it was also guilt and shame. The human race was never meant to experience blame, guilt, or shame, but because we partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now that was part of our lives. And since that moment, we've had to deal with blame, guilt, and shame. And if Satan can't get you to blame someone else for your problems, your enemy, the enemy of your soul, will settle for you blaming yourself. And so many of us, we are going through life continually blaming ourselves. Because the guilt of yesterday's mistakes is what keeps some people from moving forward in their walk with God. We say things like, how can I be blessed by God after what I did? How could God ever forgive me? How could I ever forgive myself? How could I be happy after what I've done? And we point in the mirror and we keep assigning blame to ourselves. And if we're not careful, we will become the victim in that portion of the blame game. We play the blame game right by ourselves by living in the guilt of past mistakes. I read this story recently about a little boy who was visiting his grandparents and His grandfather gave him his first slingshot. And so he went out to the woods behind the the, the house there. And and his grandparents told him, they said, listen, do not shoot anything that is living and breathing. You only shoot at, at, you know, uh, know, dead objects, you know, a tree or a leaf, you know, set up a target somewhere. And so the little boy agreed. He went out to the woods behind their house and, and, and he was trying his best to hit a bottle that he had set up on a stump and he could not hit it. He, he was just horrible at shooting the slingshot. He could not hit the bottle. And as he was walking back to, to his grandparents' house, walking through their back, backyard, he, he spied his, his grandmother's pet duck walking across the yard. And he thought, well, I'm just a horrible aim anyway. So on an impulse, he took aim at the pet duck and he let it fly. The rock hit the duck, killed the duck on the spot. And now the little boy panicked and he was desperate. And so he, he, he buried the, the dead duck. He buried it behind the shed in hopes that no one had witnessed this only to look up and see that his sister Sally had watched the whole thing and she didn't say a word. She just stood there with her arms crossed and just smiled and nodded. After lunch that day, grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, no, no, no. Johnny told me that he really wanted to help you in the kitchen today. (laughs) He really wants to help you, grandma. And she leaned over to him and she said, remember the duck? So the little boy got up, went to the kitchen and started washing the dishes. Later that afternoon, the grandpa asked the children, said, do you want to go fishing? Of course they wanted to go fishing and grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me cook dinner this evening. And so I, I, I need her to stay and Sally just smiled and she says, no, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to help you cook this evening. Again, she leaned over and whispered to Johnny, remember the duck? Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing with grandpa. But after several days of doing both his chores and Sally's chores, 
Johnny, Johnny finally crumbled under this guilt and he couldn't stand it anymore and in tears he approached his grandmother and he confessed to killing the duck and to his surprise his grandmother said I know Johnny I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing because I love you I forgive you I wondered how long you would allow Sally to make you her slave God knows what you've done God knows what I have done and there's certainly things in my life that I am not proud of. Whatever it is that you've done and you feel like you can't forgive yourself for, there's no hiding it from God. God knows it. He was watching from the window the whole time. He knows exactly what you've done, and if you will allow him to, God will forgive you. You cannot allow Satan to make you a slave to that guilt and to that shame because guilt has no place in the kingdom of God. And it was very obvious that Judas regretted betraying Jesus. And so many times we don't preach this. But there was definitely regret in his life. Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when, Jesus, when, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. This is one of the most tragic stories in all the Bible. Judas knew that Jesus was innocent. Chapter 27 of Matthew tells us that. He knew that this man was innocent. Many scholars believe, and, and I have to, to tell you that I, I buy into this theory, but many scholars believe that Judas was simply trying to push the hand of Jesus is the only reason why he betrayed him. That he became impatient. For, for over three years, these disciples were, were hearing Jesus preach the kingdom of God. The coming kingdom of God. Let's pray, thy kingdom come. And so they are anticipating Jesus setting up on his throne and ruling and reigning. And surely these twelve men will have a part in his kingdom. And so many scholars believe that Judas was pushing the hand of Jesus trying to expedite the process that, that if I can just get him arrested, then he has no choice. He is going to have to rule and reign. He, he's going to break out and he's going to set up his kingdom and everything that he's been talking about is going to come to pass. But after Jesus is arrested and condemned to death, we read where Judas has regret and he realizes that he obviously made a mistake. In Leviticus chapters 5 through 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Leviticus in the Old Testament, they teach us about the sin offering and the guilt offering. And they go hand in hand. You, you can't separate the two, the sin offering and the guilt offering. And I don't want to bore you this morning with Levitical law, but what I do want to point out to you is that 
The sin offering was made to make amends for the sin that was committed, thus it being called the sin offering. But, but God knew that the pain wouldn't stop there. And so then he instituted the guilt offering, which comes from the Hebrew word asham, which means guilt. God knew that just because the sin may have been satisfied, that there's still this residual process that the human mind and spirit has to go through because there's still a wrong that was committed. And whether the wrong was committed against you or you were the one that committed the wrong, there needs to be a process. There needs to be something to, to omit that guilt that you have in your life. And so this offering, the guilt offering, dealt with the harmful effects of the sin, both for the one that committed the sin and the one who was sinned against. The guilt offering was designed to bring healing to the aftermath of the sin. It's kind of like this. Say you invite your friend and, and their destructive child over to your house. You know, it's one of those days. You just, you're feeling, you know, friendly. You just want to, to fellowship with someone. So you invite them over to the house, and soon you realize why it's been seven years since you invited anyone to your house because the kid is destructive and, and the kid is, is just destroying everything, making a mess. And it's at some point that you reach that place where you just want them to leave and you don't know how to tell them to leave. Anyone ever been there? It's bad when you point across the room at your best friend. It's, it's horrible. Just... They offer to stay and say, can I help clean it up? And in your mind, you're thinking, no, we're never going to get it clean with your, with your child here. Your child is horrible. As fast as we clean it up, they make a bigger mess. And so you just want them to leave. You would appreciate it more if they just leave. So finally, they just leave. Uh, let's just say that's the sin offering. Just finally, let's get it over with and you just get out. That's the sin offering. After they're gone, you begin to clean up. And as you're scrubbing up the, the spilled Kool-Aid off the couch and, and the mess all over the, the floor of the living room, you're reliving all of those moments. And for you, as the victim of that crime that that kid uh, 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 committed, now you just, just are, are, are furious. And, and, and so there needs to be something to take that away. Maybe you're the mom that you just feel bad on the drive home and the guilt is overtaking you. Why didn't I teach my child to be better? Why didn't I teach my child to not make a mess? And in this moment, both parties need a guilt offering. The guilt offering fixed the aftermath. It dealt with the feelings of both the victim and the offender. And we later learn that Jesus was both the sin offering and the guilt offering for us. That when Jesus was crucified on that cross, he became both the sin offering and the guilt offering. And, and so many Christians, we, we reach this place to where we're okay with us projecting our sin onto him. Yes, I was, I was wrong in my life. I sinned against God. He died for me. Thank you for taking my sin away. But we never get to the guilt offering part. And we start living our lives just under this guilt and under this shame. And we're blaming ourselves and we never move past that. And here's what's so tragic about this story is that Judas was just hours away, just hours away. If he could have just held on a little bit longer, even though what he did was horrible, if he would just hold on for a little bit longer, a once 
and final offering was about to be made that would eliminate both sin and guilt. He was just hours away from Jesus dying on a cross. But the guilt and the shame is so strong that it chokes the life right out of him. And that's what's happening in too many of our lives. The guilt of yesterday, the shame that we continue to carry, we're allowing it to choke the life right out of us. We're not living that abundant life that Jesus spoke of. We're living our lives suppressed by guilt and by shame, blaming ourselves. You see, what we've got to learn to understand is the difference between guilt and conviction. We only look at this in the court of law. Guilt comes from condemnation. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you, but to save you from your own. Sometimes your own means you. Jesus came to save you from you. And we've got to learn the difference between guilt and conviction because God uses conviction to teach us to grow from our mistakes. How many of you have grown from your mistakes? Amen? Amen? We, we learn to grow through that conviction. Conviction teaches us you messed up, but there's grace, and now you just have to learn not to do it again. Grow, mature in your walk with Christ. Someone just needed to look at Judas and just say, Judas, you messed up, but God is calling you to repentance. It's not the end. The very one that you betrayed is about to pay the guilt offering for you. But the enemy uses guilt to paralyze us in our mistakes, and we don't see past that. And for years and years and even decades, we will carry the guilt of past mistakes, and we will never move forward in our walk with God. And when you choose to stay in the blame of yesterday, you choose to negate the power of the cross today. When you choose to keep looking in the mirror and pointing at yourself and saying, it's your fault, you're the reason why I'm in this mess, and you keep blaming yourself, then you're basically saying, Jesus, I'm not receiving the guilt offering that you paid for me. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Colossians 1 and 22 says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You hear that? You are holy and blameless without a single fault. Not because of what you did. You are not blameless because of your ability to make things right. Church, you are blameless because of his ability to make things right. You will never be able to do enough to make up for what you did. But he did more than enough to cover it all. And you can't keep living in that shame. You can't keep living in that guilt. And at the moment you choose to live in that guilt, you waste the sacrifice that he made for you. Jesus was your guilt offering. Jesus takes all the blame. There have been a few times in my life where someone took the credit for something that I did. I remember just a few years ago, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine was preaching at his church that he pastors down in South Florida. And if you would have been there that day, um, the sermon might have sounded very familiar to you. 
um, because he went on our podcast, listened to one of my sermons, took notes, tweaked it a little bit, and made it his own, and he was preaching it that Sunday morning in his church. I would have never known about this, but one, one individual from our church, she was visiting the church that day. And you could imagine the surprise on his face when he realized that so-and-so from, from my church was there and the guilt that he had. And listen, I don't care. I don't care. I mean, I can hear one person preach a sermon and usually I can get four or five sermons out of that. It's, it's not, there's nothing new under the sun. We, we, all, we all steal stuff from everybody, okay? Let's just be honest. But the guilt that he had in that moment, he had to come clean. She didn't even recognize it which proves that I'm probably a really poor pastor. <laughs> but, but she didn't even recognize the sermon. He comes clean. He was like, oh, listen, listen, listen. I know, I know you've probably heard this sermon before, and I heard Pastor Rocky preach it, and I just I wanted to, to tweak it and, and, and share it with my church. It was such a good message. I needed to share it with my church. Now, now listen, I've definitely had people take credit for positive things that, that I have done in my life. And, and I've even been blamed for some of the wrongs that, that someone else has committed. And I didn't do it, but I've been blamed for it. But there is only one person who took the blame for all the wrong that you and I have ever done so that we can get the credit for all the right that he did. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus is our sin and our guilt offering. There's a reason why we don't have to sacrifice as they did in the Old Testament anymore. It's because Jesus paid that price once and for all. And some of you are here right now and you keep blaming yourself. You keep living with that, that, that guilt from the past. It just remains haunting you, and all that you need to do is find that freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb that was sacrificed for your sin offering and for your guilt offering. Don't just give him your sin. Give him the guilt. Let's jump back into the tree of life. Let's stop partaking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's get back over here where, where life is life-giving. Where there's forgiveness, where there's mercy, where there's grace. If you could ever just learn to leave that guilt behind, you'll walk into the destiny that God has for your life. But you can't hold on to it and hold on to freedom at the same time. It doesn't work. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.